I'd hit rock bottom basically and she said you need a break so I was up there I helped her onto the train with her bags and everything I stepped back but as I did the bottom part of my coat got trapped in the closing doors I don't think I'm gonna pull free of this I think this is it you know I think I'm gonna die I was off my feet and I was being dragged along the platform at great speed and then I was pulled between the space of the platform edge and the train itself and as I looked down I thought wow you know this is incredible and, I, and the further I looked the more I focused I, I was going from one galaxy into another then I, the further I looked down the, into the depth I saw some beautiful colors an awesome sight and this, this tunnel of white light was just like huge and it was like surrounded by very dramatic flames that were just slowly circulating around and I just thought and I knew I knew straight away that what I was looking at was the source of all creation you know this was God that I was staring at and that I was feeling all this love from death is not is not to be feared. Yo, Ryan Hartley here from Always Better Than Yesterday, and what an incredible interview session we have coming up. Episode 106 with David Ditchfield. If you have seen any of the teasers and that has brought you to us right now, you are about to hear an incredible story. David Ditchfield is the author of Shine On, and in that book, he describes the moments when he is dragged under a speeding train. He journeys to the afterlife and the incredible truths that he brings back with him. It has been an honor and a privilege to share space with David, to ask my curious questions of him. And I really hope that there's something in the next 40 minutes or so that will connect with you at a heart and mind level and really inspire you to be better than yesterday in some way. These interview sessions are brought to you by our great friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites. I'm your host, Ryan Hartley, founder of Always Better Than Yesterday. We exist to help you be better than yesterday through the power of leading with love, serving with purpose. And this podcast purely exists to help you grow in your heart and in your mind. This is episode 106 with David Ditchfield. Always love, guys. David, it is an honor and a privilege to have you on the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Welcome, my friend. Oh, thank you. Great to be here. I would, uh, I'd love to know, with everything that's kind of gone on in your life, do you think like this conversation was never supposed to happen, like shouldn't be happening, or whether it, it really should be happening? Um, well, I think it should be happening. Uh, if, you'd have, if you'd asked me that question before my accident, I would have said no way at all, <laughs> you know, because it, it just, it wouldn't have featured in, in the grand scheme of things the way I was living my life. And, and that's really interesting because this book is, is incredible and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into more about it. And, but, but thank you first and foremost for sharing your experiences. I, I, I'm sure it must have been a, a process to, to go through, but I think what you really captured really well is is this sense of who you were before your accident. And I'd love to kind of dive into that and, and, and help you help bring that to life for us a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, well, the story starts um, 
well, well, I was living in London, basically, and that's where I'd been living. And uh, I was, I'd left school without qualifications. So I was struggling to find work throughout most of my, my life, actually, and especially in London, because it's so competitive and expensive. And, mm. and most people around me were doing so well, you know, um, I was aspiring to various groups of people. There's one group of people that I got to know, and they were, they were working in the music industry. And I thought, wow, you know, they're non-academics. And they're doing great. You know, they got these lovely cars, lovely apartments and stuff. So why not me? But um, so, yeah, so it was it was a struggle because it was like they were holding a mirror up to me as well, saying you're a failure. You know, you're not this successful person that you want mm. to be. So, yeah, so that's where I was at. Mm. Yeah, you you recall that in such intimate detail in, in, in the book. And I guess the one thing I'm really reflecting on is, and, and we'll, we'll touch on some of the other creative bits, but this process of of creating the book, you know, how was how was that as an experience to kind of go through? Um, it was actually very therapeutic um, mm. to actually go back and just really, you know, it was like going through a very intense therapy session because I had to revisit every single part of my emotion that I was at at that stage in my life. And then the process of the accident and then the, the, the uh, spiritual happening that came. So, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that I threw everything in there. People have said to me, oh, you know, you were really candid, but I didn't even think twice about it. You know, for me, if I'm going to write the story, it's got to be right from, from here, right from within. Um, so, yeah, it, it was an interesting process because, uh, as I say, I'm, I'm dyslexic. So I never thought I'd be able to actually write my own book. But there were so many things that I did that started to unfold in my life that I realized I could do uh, various things. And so the book was one part. I was helped. Uh, you know, there was um, a, it was a, a friend of mine that got in touch, I hadn't spoke to for years, and we were chatting. And she said, have you written your story yet? And I said, well, I'd love to, you know, but my dyslexia is holding me back. She said, well, why don't I work with you? So she offered to ghostwrite uh, the book for me, which is, yeah. so that's how that came about. But she knows me really well. So that, that was important as well, that somebody knew me well enough to get every syllable, just as I would have said it, if you like, and, you know, yeah. Yeah, it, it felt really special to read. And um, I just, yeah, we're, we're, we're talking and, and, you know, the very, the book is about the remarkable story about how you fell under a, a speeding train and, and if you would i'd love to just understand a little bit more around you know what happened and, and your experiences during that event sure um well i'd left london for a while just for a couple of weeks break to stay with my sister and her family in cambridge um because because I'd, I'd hit rock bottom basically and she said you need a break so i was up there and i'd met somebody a few weeks prior in london and we connected, we just, we just kind of clicked and we kept in touch by phone. And so she came up to stay for a few days with me, which is, we had a lovely time. So I saw her off at the rail station and uh, she had to get back to London. And um, I helped her onto the train with her bags and everything, gave her a hug and a kiss. And uh, we said our goodbyes. And then the emergency buzzers for the, the automatic doors to close started alerting. So I stepped back, but as I did, the bottom part of my coat got trapped in the closing doors as I slammed to and it was it was well trapped in there and I, I just could not pull it free I took obviously with my life um that wasn't happening so I, I, I looked for help there was no guard on the platform there was nobody around so I just yelled at the top of my voice hoping somebody would run through 
Um, that didn't happen. The engine started to rev up and I thought, oh, this is not looking good. And um, I remember just thinking, you know, bang on the windows. Nobody came through. I just thought at this point, you know, I don't think I'm going to pull free of this. I think this is it. You know, I think I'm going to die because I didn't think I was going to survive this because the train started pulling out at tremendous speed. And uh, they really do pull out of stations a lot faster than you actually think. Uh, because when you're sat inside your carriage, you don't care about those kind of things, do you? You just sit down and say, right, I've got my seats and get my bag sorted and the train's pulling off. But wow, they really accelerate. So by the time it had pulled into top gear, I was like kind of like, I was off my feet and I was being dragged along the platform at great speed. And then I was pulled between the space of the platform edge and the train itself. And uh, it was like, you know, I just heard this tremendous rip, I remember, and I just, it was like time had just stretched and um, my vision had stretched. And I remember just seeing the side of the carriage doors disappearing into the sky. And then I just went down into, into, into this dark pit, into, into, the, into the grips of hell, you know, it was just um, and thrown around relentlessly like a ragdoll. And so, yeah, the experience of that was just really violent. And I, and I suddenly felt this sensation of, of just, it was just me, just pure skin and bones. Uh, fighting against a huge metal beast, you know, that I was determined not to let it take me. Um, then I suddenly found myself lying uh, on on the ground as I've been tossed around um, throughout this ordeal. And then I was just lay there in between the tracks as the train continued on because it was a very long train. So I just kept my head down into the, into the oily gravel and just hoped for the best that nothing would hit me over the back of the head. And it moved on eventually. It moved straight on down the track. And there I was lying there just thinking, what just happened then? And how come I'm alive? Um, so that was the first thing I felt. And, and I looked up and saw this beautiful blue sky. It was, a, it was a February day. And the sky was just like really blue, not a cloud in sight. And I just remember connecting with that sky and thinking, wow, look at it. I just felt in touch with nature, you know, I just felt really like, I don't know what it was, but that happened at that point. Yeah. And the emergency guys arrived and they, they started cutting through my clothes and stuff and they got me off the track and somehow onto the platform and into an ambulance sped down the, the highway and into the hospital. Um, when I arrived in the hospital, uh, you know, all the medics were there. They were all the team frantically running around trying to save me. You know, there was lots of language that I didn't understand. And I, I was still very scared because I thought it's not over yet. I was, I knew that my left arm had been um, had severed from, from the elbow down and I was losing an awful lot of blood. So, you know, the sound of their voices sounding so, so concerned was, was a concern for me. Um, then my family arrived. They got there really quick. And they were, I remember my mother coming in in tears, you know, and uh, they were obviously really shocked by what had just happened. And, uh, but I was very concerned to see my friend Anna, who I've been seeing off because uh, the last thing I saw was her stood behind, she watched me, you know, from, from behind the glass doors of the carriage. And, I, and she just came over and she was just shaking her head with disbelief. She said, I thought you were dead. I can't believe you were alive, you know. So, um, so yeah. It's um, a beautiful moment in the uh, in the book where you talk about, um, or you hear later on that um, she has a moment of prayer with the people on the on the train. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, she she told me about this later on in hospital. Um, she said, um, 
that the train had moved on and then she ran through trying to find another woman came through and they were trying to find a guard to stop the train and they did eventually and uh, it was just stuck in the middle of the countryside she said and uh, and in the silence as they were sat there she just turned around believing that i was dead and uh, asked everyone on the carriage if they, they could say a prayer for me and then a woman stepped forward and said look i'm a christian would you like me to take the prayers and she said yeah please and so she said she told me afterwards she said it was just so moving she said there was a whole carriage full of commuters just laid down their laptops and newspapers and and prayed for me and uh, and i felt those prayers you know i felt the, the energy and the power of those prayers and i told her that because um i realized that other people were praying my my parents were telling me that various churches around the the sort of the area were all praying for my for me to because I'd been on, it had been on the TV news and then, so everybody knew about it and stuff. So, and I, I really felt that. So I believe in the power of prayer so much now. It's just, I, I use it a lot because it really, it really does work. You know, it's just a, mm-hmm. sending that distant energy and connecting, you know, and, and sending on to somebody. I think it's interesting to pick up on the word. I believe in the use of prayers. Now you say now is that, was that not, not before your accident? No, it wasn't at all. Um, it, it, it's, it really didn't sort of come into my life. I mean, interestingly enough, my parents uh, were both Christians and we were brought up when we were little kids to go to church. And, and I just didn't get church. I didn't, you know, I wasn't against it, but I, I just, it didn't, I just couldn't connect with it. And um, my mum said that she was pretty liberal. She said, that's fine. You know, you can, um, you can stay at home. And uh, so I did this. So from that point onwards, really, I didn't really think about faith or religion at all. Um, but now it's very much a, a part of my life. Yeah. Mm, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. So we were talking about the point where you were in hospital and people were visiting you. No, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, it, it was pretty much at that point that uh, I went from all that sort of uh, frantic sort of fear and energy that was just consuming me and, and and the pain that was running throughout my body i left that i left that place and i left it and i moved on to a new place i i was suddenly in what appeared to be a darkened room but a really comforting darkened room you know and um i just looked around me and thought where am i and the first thing i noticed were these pulsating colors they were like pulsating colors like orbs of, of greens and yellows and orange and they were just kind of like calming me and making me feel very very safe because ultimately I felt at that point that this was it that I thought I've died I thought this is this is the next uh, stage you know this is I've moved on to you know the, the next stage and I didn't fight it I didn't resist it I thought I'm quite happy to be here it's uh, it's it's not a problem mm. um, I'm, I'm gonna go with it um so I looked around to, to get my bearings and I, and I suddenly realized that I was laid on this, this huge slate rock. It was like a big medieval altar, if you like. But it felt very comfortable to lie on, which is really strange because I, I re- also realized I was no longer wearing any clothes, you know, and stuff. I wasn't wearing the hospital gowns. But I was just covered in this uh, beautiful blue sheet, like a satin sort of silky sheet, which comforted me. And I noticed the reflections of coming off the sheet were like white. And I looked up and, and just above me, I saw these three grids of white light, which were closing in on me. And the, in this light, there was this, it, there was this healing energy that was coming from it. And it was just so pure and beautiful that I couldn't take my gaze away. And it was so bright, it was the kind of light that normally you would not be able to handle, you know, your eyes would just 
couldn't bear it. But in this sphere, I, I could, and I couldn't stop staring at it. Um, so I lay there and kind of bathed in this beautiful healing light. And then I suddenly felt the presence of somebody close to me. I thought, there's somebody here. And so I lifted my head, and there was. And just at my feet was this um, beautiful being, like a sort of neither male nor female, just wearing like a very contemporary black T-shirt, similar to the one I've got on today, you know, nothing too ethereal, which kind of surprised me because I figured I, I had moved on. And I was, you know, I was expecting the images that you see, you know, of, of angels and stuff. And um, and this being just kind of was just staring at me. And I knew this. I thought, I know you. I know your face, don't I? And he or she just looked at me as if to say, it's okay. I felt guarded and protected as well by this beautiful being and um and then um i just thought i've known you throughout my life haven't i and i've known you beyond and that's how it felt it's like you know if you meet somebody sometimes at a party for the first time and you connect with them it's like you know and you have that conversation where you say i feel like i've known you for ages you know it was it was like that but a lot more intense so um yeah um so i laid back my head and just kind of continued to absorb everything that was going on and and uh, then i felt the presence of of, of more beings uh had suddenly appeared you know and and it was true there was like there were two female forms either side of me and uh there was a girl wearing a long brown contemporary brown dress and long brown hair and the girl to my left was more sort of like um uh, asian indian or american indian in appearance and she was wearing like a more traditional sort of dress and they had their hands just kind of like slowly just going over my body. It just as if there was this healing energy coming from their hands. It was, again, it was this energy of, of, of love that I was feeling from that light. And it was just beautiful. And um, I felt really like they were like, not just healing the physical wounds that, I, that my body had just received in that, in that awful ordeal, but also my soul, really. It was like my soul that was being healed. So, um, yeah. Um, I, I started thinking about my family down in the hospital because I knew that they'd been pretty distressed by what had just happened. And I figured, well, they're now going to be stood next to what me, that I've clearly moved on, you know, and I'm not there. Um, and uh, that's going to be really distressing. So I looked over my left-hand shoulder. I tried to look over this huge rock. And as I looked down, I looked into like this, what was, I couldn't see them at all. But what I did see was this beautiful sort of waterfall. It was like it was like the size of Niagara. It was absolutely awesome. It was like this beautiful view, and there were stars just cascading over the top, and millions of beautiful sparkling stars and shooting stars just dropping through the middle. And as I looked down, I thought, "Wow, you know, this is incredible." And, I, and the further I looked, the more I focused. I, I was going from one galaxy into another. Then I, the further I looked down the, into the depth, I saw some beautiful colors. And I just thought, I'm not in a small darkened room at all. I'm actually in the universe itself. This is like, this is it. This is, this is really beautiful. Um, so I kind of rolled back over. And, and it's interesting because I just, I didn't worry about my family like I would have done in the past. And I didn't kind of feel any sense of, oh, my goodness, you know, um, they're mm -hmm. going to be upset. I just figured, well, it's okay. They'll, they'll be fine. I'll be seeing them soon. And if I don't see them soon, they're going to be coming to this beautiful place at one point and experiences what I am. And it will all come together because it, basically it'll all come together for me at that point. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and um, 
it was good because when I think about my life before, it was just you know it was it was one that that was uh, filled with guilt and and shame and and all those kind of negative feelings that a lot of us carry around with us, and those are just gone. They didn't belong to me anymore. It was just the pure essence of my soul that I was experiencing. And then the most profound moment happened. Um, as I looked, I felt this energy of love that was coming from these three beings um, um, had suddenly turned up, like the dial had just turned up, if you like. And I looked, and just beyond the, the, the first being I'd seen was this huge tunnel of white light that was closing in on me. And from this tunnel of white light, I could feel this energy of love, but it was like really intense and, and it was like a, an awesome sight. And this, this tunnel of white light was just like huge and it was like surrounded by very dramatic flames that were just slowly circulating around. And I just thought, and I knew, I knew straight away that what I was looking at was the source of all creation. You know, this was God that I was staring at and that I was feeling all this love from. Um, and it wasn't what I was expecting. It wasn't the ideal of, of, of most, most uh, gods that we, whatever our faiths and religions, are usually in some kind of human form. Um, but this was not the case. It was just for me, this is what I was seeing. It was this huge tunnel. A lot of people see the tunnel of white light in their near-death experiences. Um, and, but this was, this was what I saw. And I didn't want to go any closer to it or through it. I just wanted to em embrace it. And, uh, and I figured at that point that I, as I lay my head back, I was just kind of smiling with joy uh, with everything that I was experiencing and feeling. Because as I say, I'd, I'd just come together in myself for the first time in my life. And it was at that point that I came crashing back down to earth into the hospital. I was back in my body, you know, back into the complete pain threshold and, and all the, the lights and the drama were, were very overwhelming and overpowering. And so, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, that and I know in the book you talk about that that part when you were in the universe it felt like you were being prepared for something what what, what did right. you mean by that um well it just felt like um like I, I felt like I was at the first stage of, of the afterlife and that the, the, this mm -hmm. uh, this stage is, is where we all go and and the the as I say the healing process that was going on Mm. was it was like a sort of like it was a healing of, of just literally peeling all the layers off that I carried around with me throughout my life it was like taking them off one by one like uh, and old wounds that were just being dispersed and they were just getting down to the pure essence of my soul and just cleansing me it was a, mm. an absolute cleansing process and uh, so, yeah, so I just felt like I was being prepared to go on to, on to the next stage because I already knew that and I know now that 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 you know that death is not is not to be feared because it really is the next stage of the journey. And that first stage of the journey is really it's really beautiful because, as I say, you 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 lose all sense of twentieth uh, or twenty first century living. You know, all that is gone, and, and all all the pressures that are on you to be a certain person, or all, all the pressures we put on ourselves, they just go. They don't belong to you anymore. Time doesn't exist, you know. It's incredible. And um, I know that when you come crashing down, it was like, oh, you know, that feeling of that you you didn't really want to be back because, you, you know, you wanted to stay there, I guess. And yeah. how did you rationalize that? How did you make sense of being back? Um, 
Uh, interestingly enough, I, I even though you know it was awful coming straight back into that pain zone, um, I was just so filled with all this joy of what I'd just been through, and the love yeah. was still with me. I felt like I'd still got an umbilical cord attached <laughs> to that other realm. So I was filled with excitement. I couldn't wait to tell the world, basically, you know, about it. Um, so yeah. It was, uh, it was interesting that most people say, oh, you must have been really disappointed. But I wasn't disappointed because I just felt like I'd been sent back for a reason. That's what I felt. And I thought, I've just got to find out what that reason is. And I, was, I couldn't wait to get started, if you like. You know, was, I felt mm. like I'd got a, a quest. <laughs> you, um, you quite clearly described some of your inner thoughts about the anxieties you had around sharing your, your experiences. And you really looked for people that you could trust in, in sharing that experience. Why was that? Well, because it was so important to me, because as I say, mm. I couldn't wait to tell the world, but I, I figured at that point that, you know, it had only just, it had happened to me and I didn't know about other people having near death experiences. So mm. I just thought this is so important. I've got to get this right. And I can't just rush straight in there and people kind of going, okay, you know, like, <laughs> and so, yeah, so, uh, and I was in hospital as well. So the first port of call of people that really came into my sphere that were basically my family and my and my friends. So yeah, but I just I started with my sister who I felt really close to. She came to see me on the you know, and I told her first of all, and then then I started telling members of my family. It took me about a week to tell my parents because, as I say, with them being Christian, I kind of thought it's probably not going to sort of fit in with the, their faith and what they've learned at church, and it might jar the gears you know somehow but interestingly enough when I did tell them I remember my mother they both sat there and I explained the whole thing taught, went all the way through it and then my mother turned around and said yes we know and I said you know how do you know mom and she said well it, we always talk about it when we leave here we come into your hospital room because I had this room to myself and she said and um, we walk in and you've got all these tubes coming out of you and what have you and you can't move but you're just glowing and you've got this energy that's that's kind of giving out love and radiating it to people around you and so so yeah so it was it was great to get that initial feedback that gave me an awful lot of um, sort of strength mm. to be able to start telling others eventually love that and um how did you come back different? Obviously, I know the rest of the book, but for our listeners and our watchers, I'd love to know how did life change? How did David change? And what did you go on to, to start to do? Yeah, um, well, I remember when I woke up in the hospital the first night after I'd come through eight hours of um, you know being under an anaesthetic and my video when they operated on me, they, I just figured, how am I going to tell the people about this? I, I was worried I was going to forget it all when I was lying there in that bed. So I thought, right, I'm going to do a painting. I'm going to do a huge painting. I'd never done anything like this before, but I thought it's got to be like those big Michelangelo Renaissance paintings that you see, you know, the, the big biblical scenes. It's got to be powerful. <laughs> and I was determined to do that. So, so that was the first job once I, was at, once I was out of hospital and I was able to start, you know, moving around. I thought I'm going to paint. And I, so I started doing a painting. Um, I was apprehensive about starting it because I thought, yeah. again, I don't want to get this wrong. But mm. interestingly enough, once I did start painting it, um, I suddenly noticed that the, the when I was painting, that what was going on on that canvas was just coming together for me. There was no sort of like trial and error. It was just appearing as I'd seen it. And I started to realize that I was like putting brave colors onto skin tones and stuff like that. And I was just thinking, 
I'm getting help here. This isn't just me who's doing this. I'm some, and I thought, I still felt this attachment to this other realm, and I thought they're helping me. So uh, yeah, so I used to go through this process of uh, looking up each day at my painting, going, "Wow, look at that!" You know, I say thank you so much. You know, uh, which I do. I still say thanks because it's just uh, I'm getting that, you know, that input to help me do that. So um, your so, yeah, so- your your paintings are on your website. What is your website right. so that our listeners can pause and go and have a look at uh, the, some of the paintings right now? Please do, yeah, yeah. So it's shineonthestory.com. Uh, so if you go there, um, that's that's like the main hub where everything is. And so if you scroll mm. down, you'll see it. But also Instagram as well. I tend to sort of rotate um, bits of what I'm doing with my paintings mm. and art. And so have a look on there. But you'll find you'll find a link on the website for for the, for the Instagram page. One of the images I was really drawn to was this um, this Christ-like image, like. You've, you've talked about your, your experiences. Where does where does that Christ-like image come into your story? That came in, um, I started having spiritual healing. And uh, now this came about by chance, although I, uh, I don't believe in chance, I believe in destiny sure. that things mm-hmm. happen for a reason. Yeah. So anyhow, I started having spiritual healing. And while I was having those healing sessions, um, some of the healers there were clairvoyant and they'd give me little messages at the end. And uh, and then I one of them, there was one healing session where I was, there and I, I was in, in this deep sense and of being healed and like a meditation and I saw the image of Christ in front of me I saw his face and he was like floating ab- above me in this beautiful white tunic and then I came through and then uh, Joyce who was healing me said David I, I, you know while I was healing you there Christ was with you and I said what no you saw him too I was going yeah I said right I've got to paint this so so that's why I painted him. And I wanted to paint him as I'd seen him, which is not the kind of Christ image that we all see, which is at mm. his worst point where he's nailed to the cross. It's like this was him looking almost as I guess he would have looked at the point of the resurrection. How has that changed things for, for you now? The In terms just, of uh, my life now? Um, which is just having having that experience with Christ. Is that something that you're now keeping within your faith actively? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's uh, my faith is really important to me, and it stays with me on a on a daily basis. And um, it's I don't I don't attend any any churches at the moment. But apart from the spiritual healing, which is uh, it's a very beautiful process. Not many people know about how that works, and it's actually it's it's almost like a bit like Reiki healing. Um, but it's but it's you know it's it's guy it's connecting with spirit and it's connecting with God, and so for me I guess that is my church and that's the closest I come to connecting with that other realm and my guides and with God. Um, so yeah, it's very much a part of my life. And and I you know I, if if people or myself are going through hard times, then then yeah I pray and, mm. and as I say the power of prayer is very important and very strong. So it's 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 yeah, it's it's made my life a lot more. I mean, my spiritual path has just made me connect with myself, basically, because it made me get in touch with my my higher self, my higher consciousness, if you like. I love this um, description of of your creation of your art. It really gets a sense that you are channeling it. It's not like in a head where you're thinking about what to create. It, you know, hearing the words as you describe it, you're you're experiencing it, and it's being brought to life through you. And I guess. How does that explain how a how a punk rocker can become a classical composer? How does talk to us about that process? Yeah, I'd love to well, hear. <laughs> exactly. Well, that punk rocker was just basically just uh, literally thrashing his way through life, and uh, mm. and uh, 
you know, and, and, and hoping for the best. I was just anything that went wrong, I'd just kind of skim over it and go to the pub and go to the local bar and, and drink it away, you know. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas mm. now it's like, you know, it's my life is, is a lot more three dimensional. And, uh, you know, I went from being a, a punk rock three chord guitarist to suddenly finding another new skill, and that was writing music for orchestra. And, uh, and so that's kind of opened my whole perspective out as well, because again, I was being guided for that when I was, I was being helped, you know, it, it just came about when I'd heard some, some, some notes came through in through and they come through into me again, they come from spirit, I'm sure. And I got this old cheap synthesizer that was that was tucked away in, in a cupboard or in the loft you know and I got that down and I dusted it off and I all I got was a cassette recorder and I played these chords that I'd heard and I recorded it and I thought that wow that sounds great and I started developing it and I thought at that point you know all I knew was the, a three-minute pop song you know and I thought this is going to be a song I thought no this is going to be bigger than a song and again like the paintings I thought it's I was ambitious and thought it's this could be played by an orchestra so I kept mm. developing it and um yeah and uh, eventually it was performed by an orchestra so so yeah. it's 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 interesting yeah uh, it's um you, these things can happen it doesn't have to you don't have to have a dramatic accident like me and a near-death experience to find this within yourself I do believe that we can actually stop and and try to sort of get in touch with our go deep within ourselves and find mm. our higher consciousness and then discover. Um, I, have a, I have a question for a listener, um, Alexis, and she says, did the experience reveal something about yourself that you never knew up until the point of your accident? Um, yeah, it, it revealed that I'd, uh, I'd never loved myself. You know, mm. I was just completely attacking myself, feeling like a failure and blaming myself mm. and what I learned from when I was in that in that other sphere was um, was love, and I brought that back with me. And I realised that self love was the starting point for self confidence, which eventually came. And that self confidence and self love together made life a lot more easy for me to to, to mm. live. You end the book with a quote that says, "In the vastness of everything, in the journey of our life, the one thing that makes it bearable is love." And I I really liked that. That's such a <laughs> great you. ending and. Um, I just love to know because because there's so much I love being able to read your book and get inside the the mind of what it's like because you've got this seemingly calling this this guide that's taking you to places where you know you're stepping out the boat you're doing things that you wouldn't traditionally have seen you go and 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 um, you say something in the book that says I you had to trust that you wouldn't have been guided to this point if you weren't meant to be doing it but that didn't mean that you didn't feel like an imposter doing these things, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like an imposter at all. Uh, that again, that's going back to what I was just saying. Then it's all that self love and self confidence takes away that feeling, you know, before I would have thought, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not good enough. This is, you know, you've got the wrong person. Yeah. There were times like, uh, you know, when it, when it would be, it would come back and bite me. For example, I remember when I went to the first rehearsal uh, mm. for my symphony and I walked in and, to be honest with you, you know, they're, they're all lovely people in the orchestra, but it was very much, it was a very middle class sort of highly educated sort of arena. And I felt out of my depth and, um, you know, so the human side of me was going, Oh my goodness. You know, and I, I remember the conductor saying, David, Oh, he said, are the composers here? And I was kind of thinking, I'm not the composer, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he said, could you come 
step forward and talk about your piece and uh, you know which i did uh, eventually and uh, and it just it was interesting because it was about my near-death experience the first piece of music i wrote it was i started telling the story and then i just lost all sense of that kind of like am i worthy or um you know mm. am i out of my depth and then i suddenly felt i was i was completely above water and uh, it was fine yeah and, and your music is available on the website that we said earlier as well which i'll include within in the show notes and i'd just love to know what did that standing ovation feel like when your music that first of all you've experienced became real in the, in the earthly realm like what did that moment feel like uh, yeah it was amazing it was just uh i mean i was very lucky because um the the, the concert had sold out two weeks in advance because the bbc had got uh, wind of what was going on and they remembered my accident so they came to the rehearsal to interview me so that straight away sold tickets so it meant that uh, you know the the atmosphere in that venue was just fantastic a lot of people come along who you know for, for the spiritual reasons as well so it was great and um it was it's amazing because like you say you know before i played guitar in a punk rock band it, it was always playing in, in two men and a dog you know and, and hoping to get to the end of each song without being booed off you know whereas in this scenario i'm sat with my family on the front row listening to my music and not have, having all those nerves of being stood there performing it, you know, and it was, it was an amazing experience. And I trusted in it as well. You know, mm -hmm. I was, part of me was like a little nervous, but really a good 99% of me was feeling like this is, I trusted it, it's going to happen. And it just, when it's, when it happened, the, the, the energy in that place was incredible. And I remember <laughs> like um, my mother was hugging me at the end and in tears and saying, that's beautiful, David. And I said, thanks mom. And as we hugged, my sister said, David, look behind you. And I looked, and there was this standing ovation. And it's just, I'm, I'm feeling it now. It was just like a moment of like, wow that was just beautiful and it was not it wasn't like it wasn't like a, an ego thing either it wasn't like oh yeah everybody loves me it was like everybody gets it that's what i felt mm -hmm. that's what I, and that's what i wanted because your mates jimmy and matt they they were giving you some digs around look, look at this guy going all arty did they get it at that point did they really <laughs> understand the transformation journey you'd been on yeah, they they did actually yeah i mean you know in their own way you know i mean obviously for them it was a massive culture shock to see their old mate from down the pub, you know, and uh, <laughs> suddenly doing all this and stepping into this middle-class arena, you know, because we come from a, a blue-collar working-class sort of uh, background, you know, you know, mm. doing manual labouring, which is fine, you know. There's, there's a lot of brilliant guys that I met doing that, you know, I, and uh, and they were two of them. And uh, but but for them to to come out and uh, I was you know I felt really pleased that they wanted I didn't think they'd want to come yeah you know, I didn't think they want to be a part of it but they yeah they they got it it's interesting. Uh, if you've got time, I've got a couple of questions from our listeners, and, and you may maybe answer these, you may not. But so uh, one of my listeners, Sarah, she's asking questions about the afterlife, and 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 did you meet people that you had known, experienced? I guess her question is, are there people in the afterlife that can see us now and what we're doing now? Um, well, I didn't actually meet any sort of relatives or friends that have passed on. Some people do, uh, but I didn't. Um, uh, only the three beings that I saw. And and I I feel that they're still with me. I feel that they're my my sort of guides. They're my guardian mm -hmm. angels, if you like. And I feel that we've all got those. And I also felt that they'd been with me. Like I said, that first one I saw, I thought, I know you've, you've been with me all my life. So... Um, so yeah that's what i that's what i saw that's the main thing that i saw and, I, and it's something that i really 
want everyone to try when everyone hits rock bottom like i did and please know that that you've got those helpers there and just call on them because i never did before but now i do um but in saying that um, I, I do believe that the i, I feel the, the the essence of, of family members who have passed on around me that have supported me especially at the time of that accident when i was recovering you know um i was being told by a few people like Claire, clairvoyance where because i started the healing they were saying oh Set various people who passed on live there with you, you know, and they were, and they were getting it just right, you know, they were, you know. My grandfather was one of the prominent ones, and each one would just give me a description just to say, Oh, yeah, he's saying he's why is he offering this? And I said, Yeah, that's him, you know. So, I do believe that our loved ones, uh, some of them are, are with us as well and are around us, and, and, and yeah, for sure. The last question for my listeners is um, from Jessica in Massachusetts, and it ties really nicely to your guides, your angels. And she's she had a, an angel experience herself when she was younger, and she's mm-hmm. just asking, "Did you see angels? What were they like?" Um, and, and I guess have you reflected on the on the significance of of their appearance, like why they might be like that? How have you made sense of, or even if you at all made sense of uh, your guides and your angels? Um, well. It's I, I, well going back to the the, the one the, the female um, Asian Indian or American Indian. I, this, the, I feel like quite an. Uh, I, it's interesting when I was in hospital recovering, uh, a couple of the um, Asian Indian nurses were uh, amazing. You know they would have different methods of healing me. They would, you know, for example, when they'd strip my wounds down, which you know, so my arm was ripped right open, rather than using sort of um, the kind of the medical sort of cleansing. Uh, fluids they would use just water and it was all very basic and it felt it all it's great and i felt very like in a kinship with them and i was in new york a couple of years ago and i went to the uh, uh the museum of uh, uh, american indians and and i was lucky because i had a guide who was who ran the place and he was descended from uh, american indians and and i felt straight away at home when i was there i thought no this is it so there's a sense that that those three guides were part of me and part of my past life as well and you know the, and that uh, that first one that, that i said that i knew the face really well i feel that's like a, uh, my higher self if you like my high consciousness that's why i i'm so familiar with with he or she yeah that's really powerful i'm really really grateful for your time um oh, i would just urge anybody listening to to go and get the book shine on the remarkable story of how you fell under a speeding train journey to the afterlife and the astonishing proof that you brought back head to shine on website uh, we'll add that into the show links as well david thank you for sharing your heart and your mind your experience and what would be your final message to our listeners and our viewers um my final message would be to uh try to bring into your life what I was experiencing when I was in that experience, which was, uh, first of all, love, to love yourself. But secondly, to be in the moment and stop, especially, you know, it's it's like I'd forgotten about the past. I'd forgotten all about all the mistakes I've made in my life. They didn't matter anymore. And I stopped worrying about the future as well. So I try to do that now. I try to bring that into your life and it really will help you an awful lot, especially at the moment with so much uncertainty. You know, try not to fear the future because we don't know what the future is. None of us, no matter what we watch on mm. the news, it's, it's, try to focus on the moment, on the here and now. 
I love that. And and just lastly, earlier on, you said you don't fear death. What does it, what does it feel like to live without fear of death? Uh, it's uh, it's great actually because uh, you don't realise that we just don't discuss death. We don't talk about it in Western civilization. And uh, and now I feel that we should do it. We should address it at least. We address we address birth and marriage and even taking our driving tests and prepare for all those things. But we don't prepare for death, which is going to happen to us. And um, and if you get over, once you realise that the it's not, it isn't anything to fear. It really does make quite. A, it lifts you. It lightens your life an awful lot, because um, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's cool. I'm just very conscious of your time, and I'm very, very grateful. Thank you, my not friend. At all. Yeah, thank you so much for. It's been great chatting with you. There we go, episode 106 with David Ditchfield. What an honour and privilege to spend time with David. Thank you for making it to the end of the podcast. I hope it has served you well. Uh, as I do with, with all the interview sessions, I have a, a moment of reflection. And and for me, uh, just the encouragement I get is that it's all love. All that we're here to do is bring that peace, joy, love into who we are, what we do and who we spend time with. It's a real encouragement to what I've been saying for a very long time, that true success is being someone we love, do what we love with the people we love. And to hear David's experience has given me the encouragement that I'm on the right path, certainly, by trying to share more love in the world. I hope it's encouraged you in some way too. Let us know what's really resonated with you. Please do share this with your social if you feel that way inclined. Share it with one person in your network that you think this will blow their mind. Go and get Shine On, the story, um, the book. And yeah, just keep learning, keep leading, keep loving. And I'll speak to you again soon. Always love, guys. <laughs>